You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 106. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Charlie Donnelly, who is a USA Today and international best-selling author. His fifth novel, The Suicide House, will be released today, July 28, 2020. I received an advanced copy of The Suicide House, and it's one of the best books I've read so far in 2020. It's really original. It tells the story of a chilling murder uh, featuring a forensic reconstructionist, Roy Moore, and her psychologist uh, partner, Lane Phillips. And as a podcast, I really love the uh, big role a true crime podcast plays in the story. Uh, it's a very top thriller, uh, very suspenseful, with a lot of plot twists and storylines that come together nicely. Uh, Suicide House is available now, so go check it out at thrillingreads.com forward slash sh. I highly recommend it. I had a great time talking with Charlie about his work, his journey as a writer, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for my interview coming right up. Hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And for this uh, episode of the podcast, I have uh, Charlie uh, Donnelly. And he is a, a USA Today international best-selling author of, the, of Summit Lake, The Girl Who Was Taken, Some Choose Darkness, and Don't Believe It. And his latest novel, The Suicide House, will be published on July 28th, 2020. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on here. Thanks, Alan. Good to be here. Tell us about your uh, background, your uh, writer's journey. Different than most writers. I... Uh, Never had an aspiration to write when I was younger. I never read when I was younger. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I get invited by uh, English English departments to speak at uh, at high schools, I always tell the, the head of the English department that I never read a, a signed novel all through my high school years. And I want to make sure that they're, they're okay with me telling that to the students. But I had a total aversion to reading. I just didn't like doing it and um, never had any aspirations to write. And it wasn't until um, I was in college, I picked up John Grisham's book, The Firm, and that was the first novel I ever read. And it just ended up being, um, if you love to read, which I now do, but it, it ended up being one of those books that you come across every so often. You know, you don't, every book you read, you don't love. Um, but when you find one of those books that, you know, you can't put down and you, you can't stop reading it and you can't wait to get back to it and you don't want it to end. That was the first experience I ever had with novel and uh, decided I was going to write a book someday, even though I had nothing in my past background that told me I would be able to do that uh, and no formal training on it. So it was in college that the seed was planted. And then uh, when I finished uh, college and started my career, I just secretly started on this uh, dream of writing a novel, I ended up writing four uh, manuscripts uh, that all failed to find a publisher until I finally wrote Summit Lake and uh, broke through with that book. Those first four manuscripts, you never published those? Those are still in your uh, digital uh, box? The, uh, yeah, the trunk <laughs> books. They're sitting in the trunk of uh, at the foot of my bed. Um, yeah, you know, I, I tried really hard. When I you finish a manuscript and you, it's really hard to let it go because it takes, as you know, so much effort to finish it. And you know, I'm sure tons of aspiring writers who have started but never finished the manuscript. I mean, finishing a manuscript is just a huge accomplishment all by itself. And so when I sent that out to agents and I was getting hundreds of rejections, uh, one agent finally called me and told me that. Uh, 
He said, I just want to let you know that this manuscript, it will never sell. It just, it's not good enough to sell. Um, you shouldn't spend any more time on it. Uh, he said, I think you know how to write, but I don't think you know how to write a thriller. So his advice was put that book away, the side, um, forget about it, and go study how to write thrillers by reading a bunch of thrillers and kind of reading it from the author's perspective. And when you sit down to write a manuscript, try to write it from the reader's perspective. And so that's what I did. It, you know, it's hard to put it away and to, to give up on it, but that's what I did. Um, my second manuscript that I wrote, I ended up finding an agent uh, with that manuscript. But even together, um, my agent and I couldn't sell it to uh, any publisher in New York. Um, so I put that one away after a couple of years and, and wrote a third one uh, with the same uh, with the same luck, which was none. Uh, she liked it and we worked on it, but we couldn't find an editor or publishing house to, to, to uh, buy into it. And then finally, I wrote my fourth book, which was the story of a, you know, a, a law school student who was uh, murdered in this small town at her family's vacation house. And the investigative journalist that goes to this small town to, uh, to kind of look into, into the, her death. And we named that town Summit Lake and sent it off to New York. And we had four uh, publishing houses really interested in it, you know, right, right as soon as we sent it off. So it was a long journey, but, uh, and kind of an interesting one because I, you know, I wasn't the kid under my blankets reading books in the, in the middle of the night or writing short stories when I was 10 years old. I just uh, never had an interest in it. But here I find myself writing a novel a year now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw that from your website when I was doing my research and that you said you didn't read your first uh, novel till you were 20. What drew you to the firm? I'm kind of curious. What drew you to that book? <laughs> I think, you know, people ask that. I don't, I can't even remember. I think, you know, Tom Cruise was, you know, going to be the, going to be uh, Mitch McDear. I think my dad had read it. And I, I don't even know why I picked it up because it was so uncharacteristic for me to you know, I never had read a book before, but when I did, I remember I read it in six days and I was, you know, couldn't wait to get back from class to pick this book up and read it. And uh, I realized I had, you know, all these years of potential reading I had wasted, hmm. um, but uh, I've made up for it since. I, I'm, I'm a big reader now and uh, that's, that's mostly my hobby instead of TV or, or movies. I, I like to read novels. Yeah, that's so funny though. When, uh, I feel like connection with the firm because that was one of the first books for myself too. I grew up, you know, reading. My, my dad was a big reader, but he read like James Mishner, and he's great. But those are huge books, and they're so hard to get through. And yeah. So I just kind of read what my dad had, Zane Gray, stuff like that. And then the first uh, book that I bought, uh, got on my own because it was such a big hit, was The Firm. And I read that, and I'm like, okay, now I can see what what, what this is right. all about. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you know. The firm, I don't know, I think in hardcover, it's probably 350 pages, but mm. I mean, it's just enough, you know, I, I have read huge 700 page books, but it's hard, no matter how much you're into it, it's hard to stay steady through the middle of those really long books. So, you know, I've always, when I, when I write, I always aiming for, you know, 80 to a hundred thousand words on my manuscripts, which puts you right between 300 and 400 pages, which I think is a pretty good sweet spot. When I was, when I was started to read, I remember picking up, um, Robert Ludlum's book, uh, the born identity, which was the third one in the trilogy. 
And I, for, you know, for some reason I was like, I'm going to read this great big book because reading was, you know, kind of a cool thing to me suddenly. And I read them in reverse order, you know, uh, the, the born books, but yeah, those are great, big, thick books. And it takes you a lot of, a lot of concentration to get through those. So when you first start off, like your dad's reading these massive books, I would, then that that would probably turn you off. You know, you got to read something a little more manageable. Yeah, yeah. Then that's cool. You know, they're making you read all these other books. So yeah, you got an aversion to reading, and then yeah, so it's kind of great <laughs> to discover your own path. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, uh, so can you tell us about your uh, latest book, the the Suicide House. And I'll say, I, I started reading that a couple of days ago, and it's it's a, it's a great book. I I love the beginning. It's just uh, the be- the beginning is just dark. I'm not gonna give anything away, but uh, <laughs> yeah. can, you t- can you tell us about uh, about the suicide? house and how, how it all came together for you yeah so um well so the suicide house is actually stars a protagonist named rory moore who i first wrote about in um last year's book some choose darkness and um i always said i would never write a throw i would never write a series that just wasn't anything i wanted to do but when i turned in last year's book some choose darkness um all my, my editor here in, the, in, in New York and my editor in uh, Australia and Brazil, they all loved this character so much that they sort of encouraged me to write another Rory Moore story. And the two books can be read in either order. You know, I was very careful not to, you know, not to make uh, The Suicide House a continuation from Some Shoes Darkness. They're to- two separate stories. If you read The Suicide House and you like uh, Rory, you can you, know, you go back and read the and some choose darkness. But so I sort of hit the ground running when I was writing uh, the Suicide House because I already had my protagonist mapped out. But the Suicide House is a story about um, these uh, two students that get killed in this kind of brutal slaughter at a at a elite boarding school in Indiana, and uh, a teacher gets accused and convicted of the murder of the murders and it's kind of wrapped up quickly and the case is solved. And, um, but what happens over the following year is that students continue to go back to this abandoned boarding house where the murders took place and they're, and they're killing themselves. And so, um, you know, rumors start spreading that the kids were playing this sort of urban legend game called the man in the mirror. And, uh, rumors start spreading that the game is still going on in the school and uh, a popular podcaster uh, ends up starting a podcast called The Suicide House to sort of uh, revisit the murders. And uh, when he does that, he calls in Rory Moore and her partner, um, Lane Phillips, who's an ex-FBI profiler, to kind of help him figure out what is going on in these students' minds and why they're going back to kill themselves. And as soon as Rory and uh, Lane start investigating, they realize that something truly is still going on inside Westmont Prep and um, inside the school and that the students know more than they're letting on. And uh, that's the premise. And then the story takes off from there uh, following their investigation of, of the murders and the suicides. And can you tell us a little bit about your characters, about Rory Moore and Lane Phillips? Uh, were they, how did they come to you? Are they based on your research or people that you know? Definitely not on people I know. I'm <laughs> always really careful not to try to put people I know into my books. But Rory is a, is a really sort of complicated, uh, fun, but dark character. She is a, um, she's a forensic reconstructionist. 
So she uh, works on cold case homicides. And she has this uncanny ability to see uh, what other investigators miss. And this ability comes from uh, her being on the autism spectrum and she suffers from OCD. And um, wh when she was a kid, uh, this, uh, this, this autism and the obsessive compulsion had, had the ability to sort of, you know, derail her life as it does in her adult life. But instead of, um, you know, shipping her off to a therapist or a psychiatrist or, or you know, trying to treat her with medication, she had a really uh, intuitive aunt who um, saw all these quirky tendencies in Rory and knew that she needed an outlet for these uh, obsessive compulsive um, urges. And if she didn't have that outlet, that's what was going to derail her life. So her aunt introduced her to the art of restoring antique dolls when she was a little kid. And um, this, this, uh, this, uh, art of restoring dolls is an outlet for Rory's obsessive uh, tendencies because in her real life, you know, Rory has to push to the side all these urges that she has to, you know, lock and unlock a door a hundred times and check her spinometer and check is the check if the stove is off and all these, you know, um, obsessive compulsive urges that would derail her life normally she takes all of these and she sort of compartmentalizes them and puts them to the side. And then when she gets into her, um, into her workshop, she unleashes all these urges and tendencies and um, the, these, uh, the need to do things meticulously and redundantly. All of, all of those, um, all of those things are demanded when she's doing doll restoration. And uh, that became a way of her, through her childhood of sort of being a normal person. And then when she's in her workshop, she can sort of display who she really is. When she becomes an adult, she realizes that her, the way her mind works as an autistic person and the way her mind uh, wants to, you know, cannot leave things alone after she, after she sees things, which is what happens with obsessive compulsives. She realizes that those might be, you know, detriments in real life, but they're actually um, very useful in the uh, occupation of solving cold cases. Because again, she has this mind that allows her to look at a cold case and, and see things that other investigators have missed. But at the same time, she, she's, once she sees a, a case that's unsolved, her mind doesn't rest until she's able to solve it. And um, so she only does one case at a time and she chooses her cases really carefully. And um, she was very reluctant to get involved with this Westmount prep case in the suicide house, but uh, her partner sort of talked her into it. And, um, you know, ultimately the case gets solved from Rory uh, looking at all the details that are already there and sort of hidden right in front of uh, the investigators um, site and she's the one who ends up uncovering it. So that's Rory Moore sort of in a nutshell, um, a complicated character, but really uh, sort of uh, relatable to a lot of people because I think we all have some sort of quirky tendency about ourselves that we, you know, I don't know if we try to hide it or we just, we try to keep it away from, you know, it being on display entirely. And Rory has, Rory has this and she's able to do it. Um, not only in her private life with the doll restoration, but she's able to use 
those tendencies in her occupation. And she's, you know, she does really well at it. Yeah, I think that was real fun with your books and your characters is, you know, they're not like the perfect super cop. <laughs> they get their flaws and right. their issues. It's much more fun, yeah. more compelling to read. Yeah, I think my earlier novels that, you know, my earlier manuscripts that never got published, I mean, I think that's what I was, you know, going for. You know, the Mitch McDeers, you know, the perfect lawyer who's going to take down, a, you know, a, a corrupt firm or um, the the Jason Bournes who, you know, an assassin that, you know, can can never be killed. That's what I sort of was reading and, and that's where my mind was going. But um yeah, a lot of the characters in my books, they're, they're challenged by something um, currently or there's some part of their past that they're trying to overcome and they use um, whatever they're working on currently to, um, to do that. And um, it's, it's, it's worked pretty well. Uh, every time I write a book, I always hear from readers, you know, is this character coming back in the next book? And um, that started with my summit lake when the Kelsey castle, who's the investigator, you know, everyone wanted to see her in another book. And then I wrote, uh, the girl who was taken and that, uh, the protagonist there is, a is kind of a badass uh, medical examiner. And she, uh, um, she, it, it, you know, was really popular and people wanted to know if she would come back. So every book uh, I hear from readers, uh, you know, hoping that the main character comes back and Rory's been the first one that I brought back. Was that, do you find that to be a, a, a challenging to do that? Because you say you, you never really thought about a series before, or, or once you got started, it was it all kind of fell into place? Yeah, the timing was uh, was a little strange when I wrote um, The Suicide House. So I had, um, The Suicide House is the first in a four-book deal that I signed with my publisher. And um, there was like a little... I not to get too deep into the publishing sort of business side of it, but there was like a delay in, in what we were going to do and when this contract came. And so when I finally found signed the contract, you know, you're very excited. And uh, once the, once the champagne bottle empties, you realize I got to write four books in four years, you know, you, it starts to dawn on you. And so I only had about nine months to write uh, the suicide house so the idea of hitting the ground running with uh, Rory Moore, a character that I knew very well from writing her in just the previous book, was sort of a welcomed idea because I didn't have to go through the whole uh, whole process of a of a new character sketch and getting to know them. And you've written a number of books when you when you first write a, a brand new character. I mean, it's like the middle of the book before you really know them very well, and. Um, much of much of what you write about them at the beginning is when you go back to read it it's preposterous i mean that's not that's not the character that that you've written by the end of the book so there's a lot of writing and rewriting that goes on with every book but i was a little pinched on time and so starting with a character that i knew um like i said was was easier for me than starting uh all over um i, I what i did was i i um listened to some choose darkness an audible, um, just so I can refresh myself of, you know, Rory's tendencies and her appearance and every little detail. Because when you write, you know, when you're, when you're writing a, a, a character in two books, everything has to match. And so I, you know, writing a, a, a huge long series still seems daunting to me because, you know, 
you just wonder if you're going to forget about something that you, you know, something you gave this character, a characteristic that you gave to her in the first book, you don't want it to disappear. And so you have to keep that character alive in your mind uh, year after year. Um, so interesting concept. I, I don't know that I'm going to do, you know, 20 Rory Moore books, you know, when I'm 60 years old, maybe I'll look back and say, yeah, I've done 20 Rory Moore books. I didn't think I was going to, but um, right now I have, um, I'm doing, a, I'm writing a standalone for next year. And uh, that would be book seven. And then book eight, um, my editors have asked if I could go back to Rory for either book eight or book nine. So I think Rory has at least three, three stories. Um, and then, you know, we'll kind of see from there. And what is your, what is your writing process? Do you, uh, do you outline these or do you just like uh, start writing them? Yeah, that's like, uh, such a murky question. I try to do outlines, you know, um, John Grisham always says his bit of advice is don't start the first sentence of a novel until you know what the last sentence is going to be. Um, and I think I have a little bit of that in me. I, you know, I don't really start writing until I have a, a bunch of ideas, uh, written down and I have a, an idea of how I want the book to end. Uh, I've done both where I've just sat down, had no idea what I was going to write and started writing. That's how I did Summit Lake. Um, and, you know, it, it's an interesting way to do it. It's, it's, it's kind of a, um, a torturous way to do it, too, because um, so much of what you write, uh, you end up having to delete and, and get rid of and, and trash because you're, you're, you're meandering. You're not going towards this final goal that you – uh, had in your mind. You're just kind of going with the flavor of the day. And so it takes me longer. It took me a long time to write Summit Lake. When I sat down to write The Girl Who Was Taken, it was one of those, that, that same thing. I signed a two book deal. And after we were done celebrating, I sat down and I said, I got to write a book in a year. I've never done that before. You know, all my manuscripts that failed to sell, they took me years. Each, each one took me a number of years to write. And Summit Lake was like a work in project. Pro, uh, was like a work in progress for you know two or three years. So now I'm sitting down. I have one year to write the girl who's taken. So I remember I I actually had to turn in an outline to my editor. I had a due date for when the outline was due. And I was writing the manuscript, and I didn't. I had like a clunky outline that you know made no sense to anybody but myself. So I I tried to organize it, and I turned it in to my editor, and he and he said you know, it's okay. There's some weird things about, it. I don't know if it's going to work, but let's see, you know, I think you have enough to write the manuscript and we'll go from there. So when I turned in the manuscript, he calls me up, my editor does. And he says, yeah, this, I really love the book. It has absolutely nothing to do with the outline you turned into me because, you know, I wrote the outline, but then the story kind of took off on its own in different directions. And I scrapped the ideas and, and just sort of went with the book. So I do, uh, I don't outline perfectly, you know, but I outline a lot. And um, specifically, like in the middle of the book, what I need to do is I need to write down what has to happen in the next few chapters. And if I can get that organized, then the writing process is so much easier and it's, it's much more enjoyable because, you know, a thousand words or 2,000 words come so much easier when I have a, like an idea of what I'm trying to accomplish with those writing sessions. Um, there's times I think when, you know, you have to write yourself out of a rut, but 
writing yourself out of a rut, the, the, you, you get out of the rut, but what, what got you out of there is mostly nonsense. Uh, for me, anyways, that's just the way my mind works. Um, so I do sort of a rough outline, and then in the middle of the book, um, the, the creative process always sort of veers me away from that outline. Um, and people ask, is in my books, in, in a lot of thrillers and mysteries, there's the twists and the surprises. You know, people have asked, how did you know? How did you know that that was going to happen? Did you know that was going to happen? And that's certainly not how the writing process works for me. I mean, I I will write you know maybe 50 pages and go back in and, and rewrite those, and then write another 50 and realize that something I revealed during the first 50 now I want to keep that a secret from the reader, and I'll go back and write those those hundred pages over and and you know put in the twists and take out the clues and and make it more subtle so that when I turn in my, you know, my first draft, it's, you know, I've probably been through the book five or six times by then, the manuscript five or six times, um, especially to, you know, put in the red hearings and, um, and drop a clue and, uh, but make sure it's not so obvious that the, you know, the, that the surprise or the twist is seen. So, um, you know, outlining is only, for the first draft and then you're going back and you're just kind of reworking it um, to try to make everything perfect. And, you know, by the end of it, I, I think most writers will tell you they've, they've been through their manuscript dozens of times by the time um, they're, they're done with the drafting of it. And what do you use to, uh, to write and to, to write your books? Do you use like, just like word, a word doc, uh, Microsoft word or something else? Yeah, you know, when I first started, I was uh, not the best. Uh, I was not the best typer, you know, of all things. So it was sometimes it it was easier for me to jot notes down by hand, and then uh, you know to write on a computer just using Word. That's what I use now. Um, you know, after a few novels, my typing skills are 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 pretty solid now. So when I try to write stuff down my mind is working faster than I can scribble it down on the, on the page. So um, in the middle of my manuscript, if something comes to me, I just, I put a, I put it on all caps, I put it in red and I just start typing the idea. So um, because I can get it on the page faster. And then I take that idea and we put it, you know, I, I cut and copy it over to another document. So I have all these, that, that goes with my outline. Um, but almost everything I do besides early notes and just by the minute notes, which I write on by hand, everything I do is on the computer. And, you do and, a lot. and the best tool for me, the best tool for me is uh, when you're sort of doing the final edits and you do a chapter by chapter outline, um, you know, the, the, the best thing for me is when I have like a, a couple sentences that explain what every chapter is and the purpose of it and what's revealed in it. And uh, that comes at the end. And, and when you do that exercise, you really, it really allows you to get rid of any unnecessary parts and unnecessary chapters or certainly unnecessary parts of a chapter because you're just trying to zero in on, on one specific goal for that chapter. Um, so, you know, if you, if people really saw the writing process from start to finish, it's so as you, no, it's so messy. Mm -hmm. It's not like you sit down and write a book in a couple of months and start um, editing it. That's just that's not how it works for me, or for most writers. 
And you do a lot of, do you put in a lot of research into your books? Yeah, um, I think you have to. Uh, you know, I don't know how you wrote a book before the internet. Yeah. You know, the internet is like, you got to find out what street the medical examiner's office is. It's a few clicks away. Um, you know, you want to find out what the name of uh, the, the product uh, they use to look for uh, blood and, and bleach. You can find that in a, in a minute. So there's a lot of um, research we do through the internet. Um, the Girl Who Was Taken, which was um, the, a book about a medical examiner looking for a missing sister, there was a lot of uh, medical research that went into that book. Um, and the key, the, the tricky thing with research is that, you know, you need to cherry pick the most exciting and, and the most interesting parts of, uh, of an occupation, or whatever you're researching, um, and you need to be able to boil it all down to just the interesting parts. Um, so research isn't always the, the, the most fun. Um, for for don't believe it, part of part of our research, my wife and I, we went to Saint Lucia and this beautiful resort called Sugar Beach Resort, which is where the murder takes place. So that sort of research is really fun. Um, you know, reading about autopsies and trying to figure out the most interesting thing about autopsies is a little bit. It's a little bit more challenging than laying on a beach in, in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. It's like a, a always have your, uh, your your murders happen in exotic locations so you can go and <laughs> research them. <laughs> always a good plan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, now I wanted to know with the with everything that's been going on here uh, with the pandemic, has that have you found that changing your writing process or your research? Because now you really can't go to you know, places right. as we, as we could before. Yeah. I mean, there's been no travel, um, you know, but fortunately travel is not the only form of research. Um, yeah. You know, with the stay at home order, you know, it was, you're a writer, right? I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. uh, you got to stay home at work. It's like, well, that's what we do anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just trying to stay disciplined and make sure you get your words done uh, each day, um, you know, when you have all, all day to do nothing because nothing's going on, it's, it's a lot easier to procrastinate than when you're super busy and you know you only have a couple of hours or three hours to to get your words done. Um, so there is a little bit of battling that. I think we're kind of back to our regular schedule now, thankfully. So um, you know, I'm just an early morning writer. I get up really early 4.30 or 5 and try to get my words done. Um, you know, I, I shoot for about a thousand words a day. Today on Wednesdays is like my big long writing day. I haven't barely left my desk today. Uh, and I just try to get two or 3,000 words on every Wednesday. If you can do that, um, you can finish a book in a year and edit it and all that without uh, running into too many troubles, too many deadline troubles. Yeah, that's the hard part, having those deadlines looming. <laughs> Without a deadline, though, I tell you, there's nothing to keep you on track, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's always there's always time to do it tomorrow if you don't have a deadline. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's always another tomorrow. So it goes, it'll just, it's a it's a tough, tough, uh, vicious circle you find yourself in. Yeah, it can snowball out of control very easily. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, four months turns into two really quickly, and then you're like, yeah. Now what? Or you start doing research, and the next thing you know, you've been, you wasted hours on YouTube or whatever. 
Yeah. I know yeah. it all too well. Yeah. And so do you still, uh, with your with your busy writing schedule and everything, do you still find time to read? Oh, yeah. Um, Audible especially. is. I've been, been um, really into Audible lately. Um, during When we were at stay-at-home, you know, lockdown, uh, we were doing a lot of home repairs and painting some rooms in the house. So I was listening to a ton of books on Audible. Um, but I, I always have a book going. You know, whether it takes me a week to read or a month, I'm always in the middle of a book. Right now I'm reading uh, Riley Sager's uh, Home Before Dark. Uh, it's his latest. Uh, but I, I'm never I'm never without a book. Uh, and typically I'm reading one and listening to one. Uh, so I'll get through, you know, every month I'll get through at least a couple of books. So what's the next? Currently my next manuscript's due in September. I'm sort of right in the middle of that, right in the weeds of that. And... Um, New character, uh, all new characters, nothing is carried over. You know, in a lot of my books, if, if people have read all my books, you'll see a little bit of little nuggets in, in each book uh, from the previous one. You know, Summit Lake was my first book, but the town shows up again and don't believe it. Livia Cuddy was the doctor and the girl who was taken. She makes a cameo and don't believe it. Um, so there's little little parts of each book sort of follow the next one, you know, as sort of a fun thing for readers to look for. But um, the standalones, uh, that's what I'm writing now. And ho- hopefully in September I'm done. I get to take a little bit of a break. Somehow I, I think four months or three months from now it's still going to come so quickly that I'm going to have trouble. But we'll see. I'm going to keep every day, stay to my schedule, see how we do. And, um, okay, so well, before I let you go, uh, I always like to ask my guests about any advice for aspiring writers. I know I have a, some of the listeners are, are writers themselves. Uh, any advice for them? realize that a lot of the stories you hear are the exceptions of um, getting a huge book deal and getting your first try and getting a movie deal. Those are all things that we all shoot for. Rejection is such a huge part of the publishing business that just if you if you want it badly enough, just don't just don't give up. And if you got to put a manuscript to the side, um, just count that as uh, part of your experience and it taught you how to that you can do it. And that uh, if you can do one, you can do another one. So if you don't, if you don't make it with your first manuscript, sit down and, and get going on another one. It took me four before I made it, and you know my sixth book. I'm writing my sixth book now, and I'm contracted for eight. So it's uh, just uh, stick with it and don't give up. Okay, so then your website, uh, so people can find you, is uh, uh, charliedonley.com. That's probably the best place to find all the information about you. And- for sure, yeah. Charlie Donnelly, it's spelled D-O-N-L-E-A. A lot of readers find me on Facebook also, Charlie Donnelly Author. A lot of what I do on Facebook, I just sort of is redirected uh, from my website. So those would be the two best places to find me. Okay. And then The Suicide House will be out July 28th. I got an advanced copy, thank you, and I've been enjoying it. So I highly recommend the listeners to go uh, pick that up when they, when they nice. listen to it. Keep this. me posted when you finish it. Let me know how you like it. All right, will do. All right. right. Uh, Thanks a lot, Charlie. It was nice talking to you. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.